I'm Megan. I'm Christy. And I'm Auntie B. And we are Homebrew Home Murder Crew. Welcome, welcome. Episode, truly episode 10. No. Is it truly episode, it 10? episode 10 now? It's well, because we've had a couple two-parters. Right. Technically, so. like, on our actual case number. Yeah. Case, yeah. case number. There we go. But it's still episode 10 because on the um, music device or whatever, it shows up as episode 10. How are you ladies doing today? Um, I'm so good. I'm so excited that we're here in Brittany's new house at her little podcast corner, which we're yes. off. <laughs> yes, it feels so good to be here. I have so much more space, and I'm so glad you guys are finally in my nook. I am right up in your nook. I am balls deep in your nook. We got out of the closet and went right into the nook. But we're beside the closet. We're still we're still beside the closet. We might go back in, we might hop back out, but we're flexible like that. But we're like a metronome just when you think we're in. Yeah, I I can't wait for us to actually like I know we've got version one tonight of our podcast set up, but I can't wait to actually like start adding to it and making this corner our own. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be like, it's going to feel a lot better. And I think it's going to uh, reflect in how we talk to our viewers. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you guys, um, we have a mutual podcaster that follows us on Instagram and we follow her. So I wanted to take a quick second just to give a shout out to True Crime in the 50. And her name is Katie and she does a wonderful job of delivering cases and storytelling and everything that she does is amazing. I've listened to a few of her episodes and they're great. Her humor is amazing you don't see it coming i'll tell you that but she had me laughing out loud with her last episode about cults she covers a couple cults and i was just loling you guys so she uh true crime in the 50 katie um who hosts this podcast it's a podcast that delves into the craziest true crime story in each and every state so every two weeks she takes a look at the most unbelievable murders serial killers and disappearance disappearances that took place in all 50 states from Alabama to Wyoming. That's A to W if you weren't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you love true crime and America, you won't want to miss this. Do you feel safe in your state? So check her out. That is a description straight from her podcast. So um, really great. I like it. I like it. I can't wait to listen to it. I was going to listen to it, but I've been very busy putting this case that I'm doing tonight together. It's a lot more information than I expected. So I promise I will be listening to your true crime podcast because Christy has done nothing but talk very highly of it. And I cannot wait, not wait. Women supporting women. Women supporting women, bitches. And you know what? I know, okay, when we release this episode, it's going to be in a week from now, but yesterday was just International Women's Day Yes, as well. So women supporting women needs to be a thing every day. Absolutely. But uh, I saw a lot of great things yesterday from different companies for International Women's Day. And also, we were covering in our Facebook group that we have all those fantastic women that have gone through lot of awful traumas and difficult experiences and like survived survived and thrived and from thrived. it too yeah, yeah. And so we highlighted a few of few of those ladies yeah thank you ladies for doing that yes thank you for showing us how fucking tough us bitches really are yes yeah. 
Power of the V is strong, my friend. Power of the, the V power is of the strong. V is strong. So is there anything for like <laughs> sorry, guys. true crime news? Oh, again? Okay, sorry, guys. I'm out of it. Okay, so we actually do have some true crime news. It actually is from a few weeks ago, and I forgot to mention it in our last episode. But this one's um fairly local. Uh, it happened in Stanley. That was the cat's. It oh, was yeah. not a ghost. I it was a demon. <laughs> Also, hang on. I don't mean to interrupt you, Megan, but I do need to take a moment and let our audience know exactly what these two ladies were doing whilst I was trying to set the podcast thing up. They're all ghost like, testing. Yeah, ghost testing. testing, apparently. No. So Christy and I go out for a smoke and Megan's all, oh, I heard sounds. So now apparently my brand new place, which I just moved into is haunted. It's new to you. It ain't new, honey. It There's a lot of history here. I don't need yeah. to I don't need to think about it first off. And what I really settled souls. What I really don't need is YouTube breaking out the ghost hunting apps. Oh come on. <laughs> and asking, is anyone here? The truth will come out, Brittany. But this... can we not ghost hunt tonight? Okay, not tonight, <laughs> but next time. Stay tuned. I am not prepared to find out if I have spirits living among me, okay? <laughs> and for those who don't believe in spirits, have an experience and then come talk to me. Mm-hmm. And then have a nice day. <laughs> and then have a very nice day. Okay, Megan. Megan, continue. Yeah, yeah, true crime news. Local. Yeah, so um, on January 14th, 1953, the remains of two young males were found in Stanley Park, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it, it had been determined that they had been, there was a hatchet found at the scene and the police had determined that the two had been bludgeoned with the hatchet. Um, they, they, they were killed by being struck in the head. Their corpses had been arranged so that they were lying down in a straight line with each boy's souls with the soles of, yeah, of the shoes of their feet yeah. facing the others. And there was a, they were concealed with a woman's rain cape. What? Really? So there was no DNA testing. Yeah. There was no, like, we were far, far, far behind in oh, the advances of. Oh, I remember this yes. now. Yeah. So in 2018, detectives were planning on using consumer DNA databases like Ancestry.com and 23andMe yeah. to help identify the victims. And they had success. In On the 15th of February, 2022, it oh was God. discovered through forensic genealogy that the two bodies were of David and Derek Alton. Um, they all went also used their mother's last name, um, Bosquet, Bosquet, Boquet, Boquet. My apologies, Boquet. Um, but uh, their mother, Aileen Boquet, had died in 1996. It actually has their dates of birth here. So they were found in 1953. Yeah, so it was determined that they were murdered, like the bodies had been there since 1947. At the time, they would have been uh, seven and six. Oh my god. We definitely have to probably break this down on a whole episode. Yeah, for sure. I think one of us should take that on and look a little bit more into it if you so guys are interested like seven in it years though like what's the, what's the case name essentially uh sorry it, it is known um in the media as the babes babes in the wood murders 
Babes in the Wood murders. Right. In Stanley Park. Babes in the Wood. Babes in the Wood murders. Murders. Wow, I'm so glad they were able to identify them. After all these years. me. Shit is And you know what? Like, I'm so happy that this stuff doesn't just get shoved under the bed or under the carpet or whatever or swept under the carpet. That that people still care enough to years later figure out, hey, we have advances in the way on our forensic science and but you know that's us. what it is right it's the advancements in forensic science right. that have Absolutely. finally caught up to our need and finally science is catching up to people mm-hmm. and i'm excited to see where science goes because did you really think that a few years back like even 10 years back that we would ever be able to take a swab in our mouth, send it off somewhere, yeah. and you'd be able to find a long lost relative, yeah. let alone connect murderers through DNA exactly. for yeah. friends. And it's never, it's, it's not crazy. Gonna, yeah. yeah. And that science advancement is not going to get rid of murderers. Well, say. have you seen Minority Report yeah. <laughs> with Tom Cruise? Yeah. Like, I mean, okay, eventually maybe they'll be able to predict it. Like, you know, we didn't even fathom that this is where we would be 10 years ago. Yeah. And now, Maybe we will get to that point where it's no, that obstacle is no longer in the yeah. way and it's more common practice yeah. than it is not. You know Absolutely. what I mean? I I swear to you guys, we're going to be in the minority report sooner rather than fucking later, okay? Uh, first, <laughs> first, first, though, we have to live through idiocracy. Oh, God. Oh. Touche. <laughs> Seriously, watch that movie Idiocracy and tell me we are not living that movie right now. Okay. Yeah. Also, that's Luke a great Wilson? movie. Yeah. Luke Wilson's hilarious. Yeah. Okay, ladies, I am going to go ahead and start with my episode for tonight. Now, you probably realized, or for listeners that listen every other week, you probably realized we didn't do our little musical thing at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's because what I want to do before I start my episode tonight is actually paint you guys a little bit of a picture. So I want you guys to close your eyes and kind of imagine this if you will okay and audience the same thing goes for you you're 20 to 30 years old and it's tgif bitches it is friday night and you are ready to go out with friends and you want to enjoy a few wobbly pops while partying at your friend's house you get there and the party is in full swing and you're having a blast However, as the night continues, you start to feel more intoxicated. And with that, the drama, of course, follows too. An alcohol-induced fight starts to unfold and the police are called to intervene. It's time to call it a night. You grab your shoes, you grab your jacket, and you stumble your way out of the house party prepared to make the freezing walk home in a balmy minus 20 to minus 30 degrees weather. Now, some of our audience may think that this is crazy, but please remember we are in Canada and this is our normal everyday life, except for maybe two months out of the year in some places. And it is minus 20, minus 30 degrees Celsius, but you, something I learned today, once you get to minus 40 degrees Celsius, it's the fucking state. Yeah. I didn't know I that. learned that literally like a week ago. Now on the walk home, you just so happened to pass by the very police cruiser that's been sent to respond to the drama that you've left behind at the party. Unfortunately, you're visibly intoxicated. Your mind goes to the worst case scenario. If they stop, I'm most likely going to the drunk tank. 
please drive by, please drive by, please drive by, you say to yourself. The red and blue lights flash at you and you hear, hey, you stop and turn around. After a brief conversation with the two officers, they decide that you are far too drunk and belligerent to be in public. Alas, they put you in handcuffs and escort you back to their cruiser. Your anxiety is high, obviously because no one enjoys being taken into the custody of the police. Your heart is racing, your palms are sweaty. Suddenly, you realize you're not driving towards the police station. You're driving in the opposite direction of town. Now, I suspect we can all probably remember a time where we, at some point or another, have been in a very similar circumstance. Maybe not exact, but in some way or another, so similar, right? Oh, yeah. And you're mm-hmm. scared, you're uncertain, and you know you're not being or acting the way somebody's telling you that you are. Mm-hmm. Right? It's your, It's a Friday. You work Monday to Friday. You go out. You have fun. You, you expect to be able to do that. And you when think things you're doing go, the right thing walking home. Yeah. That's the part. Well, yeah, you left the You left the drama behind, right? Yeah, you made exactly. the right and decision. You didn't get in your car. You're not you driving. ended up in shit anyway. Yeah. Right? However, this is actually a real life scenario. For one Indigenous Cree man, uh, 33-year-old Daryl Knight endured one of these evenings back in January of 2000 in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. That's so recent. So recent. I mean, it was 20 years ago, 22 years 22 ago, but it was recent. Yeah, it was in our lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> when oh. people should just be better than they are. Yeah. Keep in mind, you guys, too, I'm talking about Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And for our listeners out there that might not know, um, Saskatoon has the largest urban population of Indigenous peoples in Canada. I should start off by saying that everything I walked you guys through in that beginning scenario was the real situation for Daryl. He went to a party with friends. There was a fight that broke out. He decided to leave because he actually had a rap sheet of his own and there was already generations of distrust Mm -hmm. and resentment that was built between the Saskatoon Police Department and the Indigenous peoples within the community. But it's also really important to note, Daryl Knight survived. I was gonna ask, but then I was like, yeah. So uh, another quick note about Daryl before we continue. Uh, A few years prior to this, he had actually gotten sick with tuberculosis and meningitis. This left him with a a permanent vision impairment. So he actually had special glasses that helped him see. However, he still suffered headaches. Uh, his ver- vision was still blurry and unbalanced. Often he'd have to close one eye. Like on the best of days. On the best yeah. of days, yeah. So the way I imagine it, like you've seen my glasses, yeah. right? You've put them on. Like <laughs> I kind of imagine that his vision would be like having one of those lenses and then having your other eye yeah. see perfectly right. is kind of how I imagine it. So your depth perception is off. You obviously are going to have chronic headaches like we said yeah probably migraines 
So it was January of 2000 when Daryl was walking home in very cold, minus 22 degrees Celsius weather. But with the wind chill, it would end up feeling like minus 30. Okay, you know what? Can you not laugh at me? Because I know why you're laughing. So you guys, I need to tell you a quick little story here. Oh, God, here we go. About a time when I found out that Brittany didn't know it was called a wind chill factor, but thought it was a windshield factor. Okay, but in my defense, my explanation made fucking sense. Okay? I mean, we've already determined that you're not alone in that thinking, so there's that. But what was your... What was your description or your definition of that was okay i believe it was i said it was the temperature of outside but because your car is moving and there's a wind that comes up over your car is the temperature of that wind (laughs) (laughs) this is supposed to make sense (laughs) in my defense um i don't think you have much of one okay you know what I've had people tell me it makes sense. Whatever. Science. Listen, TikTok is like... I'm really glad that science has come such a long way as well, Brittany. (laughs) I am really glad. Because now we can just measure it at the wind chill factor. We don't have to physically get in our vehicles and drive 60 kilometers an hour to figure out... But the wind what it actually it. feels like outside. They have like these crazy meteor- meteorologists that just measure what the wind also, is. Also, I don't know what's sadder, and I, I'm just going to admit this since we've opened this can of worms. I don't know what's sadder, the fact that this is what I believed, or the fact that I was 23 years old when I found out it was wind chill. Okay, <laughs> Brittany, there's a thing called withhold medicine. medicine. <laughs> Withhold evidence? Withholding evidence. Withheld evidence. Something like that. Something like that. (laughs) Okay. Are we good now that we've gotten the windshield factor out of our system? Please don't edit that out of the podcast. (laughs) Um, As I was saying, ladies, it was minus 22 degrees Celsius, but with the wind chill factor, it would end up feeling like minus 30. Slightly intoxicated, but also struggling to see because of his specialty glasses and fog, he encountered the two police officers. The police officers were the very same ones that were supposed to respond to the fight at the house party. However, the pair got conveniently sidetracked when they saw Daryl walking. Without asking for identification and without putting anything into their system to make record of the stop, they threw handcuffs on Daryl and put him in the back seat of their squad car. Daryl knew the rumors. He had heard of the Starlight Tours before from his ancestors. He was terrified because he knew what they were and he was only wearing a blue jean jacket with a fleece collar, a denim shirt, and jeans. So you guys, Starlight Tours... Um, or they are also known as the Saskatoon freezing desk. They actually refer to the very inhumane practice from the Saskatoon Police Department, which BT dubs you guys, there's actually a case as early of as 2018. Okay. So there really is a need to talk about this. Yep. 
Okay. Basically, this practice goes back as far as 1976. And it's where police officers would arrest indigenous people, usually men, for alleged drunk and or disorderly behavior, sometimes for reasons without cause. Now, I say sometimes for reasons because we have to be realistic here, okay? Drunk people can get very belligerent. I don't care about your nationality at this point. Drunk people can get belligerent. So when you are dealing with drunk or high individuals, you know, you are you are running into situations where you have reason to assert your authority. Right. But there are reasons where the authority wasn't needed, nor was it ever recorded that some of these people were ever in the care of these police officers. And I get it, like, especially when you're in a position of authority, number one, there's pressure on you, number two, and number three, if you already have a preconceived notion about a specific nationality, race, whatever, I get that that's a hard thing to break out of, especially when you're brought up believing that well and that's and so it's not preconceived i know i know but it's taught and i think that's language that we need to start using more is that it's taught but as as somebody who's in authority you might look at somebody an indigenous man on the street and have that preconceived notion that you're obviously intoxicated belligerent you're going to cause problems and then from the Okay, maybe that can be forgiven to some extent, but then you made the conscious choice to not make a a record of it, number one, and number two, to do unspeakable things to people, whether they they are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, and you cannot be sending out a lynching squad after people of different nationalities or races just because that was something that was taught to you. Like not, it it goes just beyond these police officers arresting them. The officers would then actually drive them out to the outskirts of town in the middle of winter and abandon them, leaving them there stranded in sub-zero temperatures. Okay, so this practice is exactly the real life situation that Daryl Knight is living, that he would survive. Is Daryl Knight still alive today? He is. Daryl, I tried to figure out if I could reach out to you. Um, I didn't have much luck, but if by any odd chance you're hearing this and you want to reach out, um, we'll put our email in the comments, but we will also say it at the end of this episode. Uh, Anyway, I want to get back to Daryl, who's in the back of a squad car, you guys, and fucking shook. I can honestly say I I can't even begin to like understand or imagine how frightened he must have been. Daryl knew in his gut that something wasn't right and he was afraid. He also remembered they didn't ask for his name when they arrested him. Now the real panic sinks in. That sinking, overwhelming feeling falls over him and he starts to yell and plead for the police to let him go to please just let him out. The vehicle got very silent and Daryl looked around and began to realize that he was driving away from where he wanted and where he thought he was going. And the voices of his ancestors played louder and louder in his head. And every scary story he was told about the police department were suddenly no longer fiction. 
The two officers drove Daryl five kilometers out of town. They dropped him off near the Queen Elizabeth II power station before finally responding to his police. The officer in the passenger side got out of the vehicle and grabbed Daryl out of the back seat, violently pushing him against a cruiser to undo his cuffs. Get out of the car, you fucking Indian, the officer would say to him. Daryl had his glasses and his face pushed up against the car while the officer aggressively removed his handcuffs. Daryl could make out a number on the side of the vehicle. It was the number of the squad car, number 57. Begging for his life and to not be let out in the cold and deadly darkness that is the Saskatchewan prairies, Daryl would plead with them, telling them, I'm going to freeze. Ignoring him, the officer got back in the squad car and the driver of the vehicle pulled a U-turn. As the passenger rolled down his window to respond, that's your fucking problem. I know, I'm sorry. I don't mean to. It's hard, right? I have to take a break soon. (laughs) Do you want to take a break now? Yes, please. Let's do this. It's okay. I needed to take a few breaks with this too for our audience. We did just pause a quick moment. Uh, we needed to do a quick mental health check. It's a heavy case. Christy needed to like gather her thoughts and feelings. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, that's the point of bringing stuff up like this is to make people uncomfortable. Make people uncomfortable. If you're not uncomfortable, then we're not doing our job. Get uncomfortable. That's yeah, Sharon yeah. slogan. Get uncomfortable, bitches. Get uncomfortable. We'll so, a sticker. Yeah. So we're going to go back to Daryl. Daryl thought that he was as good as dead. Mm-hmm. The first stages of hypothermia include shivering and reduced circulation. The second stage, slow, weak pulse, slowed breathing, lack of coordination, irritability, confusion, sleepiness. Third stage, slow, weak, or absent respiration uh, and pulse. And lastly, you hit the paradoxical undressing stage, which for those of you that don't know is a phenomenon. Thank God for comedy breaks. The paradoxical undressing stage is a phenomenon where despite low environmental temperatures, victims will start to feel warm and have the urge to suddenly remove their clothing. So your body will actually start tricking you into thinking you're warm when in reality, you're minutes away from succumbing to hypothermia. And this is all your body's natural response to survival and like the shivering to send messages to And hypothermia doesn't give a shit what nationality you are. Alone, frightened, and barely dressed, Daryl is struggling to survive the effects of hypothermia. He decides that he needs to survive and starts the trek across the field towards the power station. Now, I'm going to pause here to introduce two other human beings that also in the month of January 2000 
within days of each other fell victim to this inhumane and sick game. It's a game. There's no other way I can can look at it. That's right. Daryl and Indigenous men Lauren Wagner, age 29, and Rodney Nastis, age 25, were all victims of the Saskatoon Police Starlight Tours. Lawrence and Rodney would unfortunately succumb to their hypothermia, both later being found only five days apart in almost the exact same area, just out of reach of the Queen Elizabeth II power station. Lawrence, 29, was a struggling university student. He struggled with stress and anxiety and, like most, found an unhealthy way to cope by drowning it all out with drugs and alcohol. Lawrence was at home with his roommates who started to fight. He was really trying to avoid being part of the domestic, so he went into his room and made the unfortunate decision to smoke hash, which I smoke weed, I smoke hash, I I am 420 friendly, and if you are somebody that suffers with anxiety, If you don't know how smoking hash and marijuana is going to affect your anxiety, you should not be smoking it. Or at least if you're going to be doing it, do it in the right state of mind and with people that you trust. Exactly. And in the right amounts as well. Like don't overdo it and make yourself green out or anything. Needing out and away from the yelling, Lawrence decides to walk to a family member's house. He gets to his cousin's apartment where he's unable to enter. He did manage, however, to get the attention of a few other residents of the apartment building who decided to call the police on him. And like Daryl, police cruisers showed up and took Lawrence into their custody. Two witnesses were who were actually friends and fellow students of Lawrence recall seeing him stumble into the police cruiser and that he was dressed very poorly for the weather. What a scene he caused, they thought to themselves. So much to the point where they said to themselves, we're going to have to make fun of him when we see him at school next. Oh, that's so sad. Imagine only that saying way. that and then what happens? Yeah. And that would be the last time anyone saw Lawrence alive. Now I'm going to introduce you to the other Indigenous man, Rodney Nasus, that I had mentioned. He's <laughs> the 25-year-old. He was the one found five days later, after Lawrence. Okay. Okay. After Lawrence, but before Daryl? So this whole thing with Daryl and Lawrence and Rodney took uh, over a span of seven days, I think. Okay, so I'm going to be interested to know if this is all somebody on the same shift then. So, yes, exactly. Hold that in your mind yeah. because it's extremely important. I know you'll get to it. Yeah. Because I, I know you'll get to yeah, it. I know you're looking for So, Rodney was found five days later. His family has chosen to stay more private when dealing with with Rodney's case, and they actually haven't really said a lot to the press. Like, you look into Rodney, and there's not a whole lot uh, about him as a person in particular. Well, it's you know what? Good for them. Yeah, yeah. they've kept Good it very hush-hush. Yeah. 
I was able to find, however, that Rodney was wearing nothing but running shoes, black sweatpants, a camouflage jacket, and a t-shirt. An inquest into his death stated Rodney had, quote unquote, wandered off because there was no police record of him ever being picked up. Which, I mean, if they're not entering yeah. names into their system yeah. and they're just picking them up off the street, oh, there's not oh my going God, to be. Well, they wouldn't have right? like, about the other guy either. If the two well, exactly. Well, and it's really, really easy to pretend that you don't know somebody mm-hmm. when you don't ask them what their name is yeah. or, what, or for their ID. It's right. really True. easy to just be like. Well, I don't know who you're talking about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's that separation. Separating. It, it's just all very convenient. Mm-hmm. Super sus. Now back to Daryl. Daryl's legs are tightening up on him, and he can actually start feeling them giving away as he's trying to get closer to this power station. And you know what? Like, I can... I'm not going to say I know the feeling, but, like, I feel numb in my legs just walking the dogs on a cold day yeah you know and like i know my route and i know how much time i'm gonna spend out there and by the time i get home i'm weak it wouldn't be until a couple of days later like you know when we talk about the stars aligning you guys right, and just yeah. things happening for a reason yeah like divine intervention i feel yeah. like what i'm going to tell you guys next is pretty well exactly that because everything starts to unfold from this point it wouldn't be until a couple of days later when word came out of an indigenous man being frozen to death almost in the exact same fucking spot that daryl found himself in just a couple of days prior daryl and his uncle were driving around a couple of days after the ordeal you know daryl was still struggling with whether or not he wanted to come forward with what had happened to him him and his uncle are pulled over in their vehicle for a seatbelt ticket. And now enter Sergeant Bruce E. Holt. Now, oh God. I'm going to tell you guys, no, you guys, okay. this is our first hero okay. of the story. Okay. And I'm not just going to let it all be sad, super negative. There are heroes here that need to be named, and Sergeant Bruce E. Holt is one of them. Bruce! Bruce. <laughs> we said that at the same time. Bruce Wayne. Bruce. Bruce Wayne. When Sergeant Bruce E. Holt pulls over Daryl and his uncle, Daryl finally found the courage to ask Sergeant E. Holt about the indigenous man who had been found dead that day. Mm. Now, Bruce is all like, Why are you asking about this? Why are you interested? The man who was found, by the way, you guys, was Lawrence Wagner, the university, the 29-year-old university student that I was telling you guys about before. He was the one that went to his family member's place and banged on the wall, and then the neighbors called the cops on him? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I listen. I don't just listen. I listen. Daryl explained to Bruce his experience with the men in blue and how he was dragged out to the outskirts of town in freezing cold weather for no reason whatsoever. Sergeant Bruce asked if he had filed a report. Daryl explained, (laughs) uh, exactly. No. Uh, (laughs) They don't even have my fucking name on file. (laughs) Like, what are they going to know? Like, this, I'm fucked. 
Well, and on top of that, he said, who would who believe me? me? Yeah. Uh-huh. Bruce took all the information he could and went on his way saying that, give him some time, he's going to look into it. Yeah. Knowing that wall of blue and how it does very much exist, Errol was not hopeful for any kind of outcome. Little did he know that Bruce walked away from him that day. And when he walked away, he felt that this couldn't be happening. There's no way this could be true. He felt like if this was true, it was a disgrace against the badge and uniform he wore with Bruce! such pride. Right? Enter Bruce! Do you think that Bruce still gave him the ticket for the Pizza? He did not. Actually. Oh, I do know, know the answer. He's like, that. he's like, here's, here's Daryl saying, he's like, ooh, I'm just gonna put this book away. <laughs> what, what, what were you saying? Sorry, what? Open So the next day, after some very quiet investigation mm-hmm. on Bruce's behalf, for sure, Bruce paid a visit to Daryl's home. Daryl saw Bruce pull up and was terrified oh, of yeah. having, at the thought of having to yeah. even go out and talk to yeah. him. Like he knew it Absolutely. was the police officer from when he was pulled over yeah, okay. with the seatbelt ticket. Yeah. But he still had such insecurity because it, it, yeah. no, yeah, you know, I this blame him. guy may have ripped up my ticket, but yeah, you're now or he talked to Buddy and Buddy's like painted totally different picture. Well, exactly. Here we so, go again. Exactly. Better get my fucking coat on and my Sorrells because I'm going to be out there a long time. Mucklucks. Mucklucks. <laughs> so after some thought, Daryl does decide to go out to the police vehicle. Bruce says to Daryl, do you remember when you said no one would believe you? Oh, God. Daryl says, yes, I do. And Bruce says, well, I do. <gasps> And you guys, these are like, I'm not like saying this for dramatic effect. These are words from Daryl Knight's own mouth from the documentary Two Worlds Colliding. And with that, Daryl decides to do what he needs to do. He goes with Bruce. 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 But anyway, he brings him to uh, the station to file a report. But in his report, Daryl makes a pivotal mistake. Oh, no. Oh, no. He thought that the squad car said number 57 on it. Remember when he was yeah. pushed up against the side of the vehicle? But he had his glasses on. They were fogging up. It said 51, didn't it? No, it had actually said car number 27. So you can oh, imagine no. now... These accusations have officially been, like, reported. Right. Because Daryl's gone and reported it. Mm-hmm. So he's written down number 57. This is an official investigation now. Mm-hmm. So there is a squad car number 57. Yeah. So squad car 57 has two officers in it who are named as the officers that did this to Daryl. Oh, shit. It is. So you can imagine now... This has created a very large divide. And be- major trust issues. Yeah. Well, even more yeah. major trust issues, even right? More, yeah. Because now Compounds you have two it. individuals 
innocent individuals being accused of something that they didn't do. And it's because of this mistake on Daryl's part, I'd remind everybody that Dan Hatchin and Ken Munson decide to step forward to admit that they were the ones that Daryl was speaking about. However, they claim to not know who he was. And then when it was explained to them, they claimed that, well, he wanted to be let out of the vehicle and that there was no wrongdoing. Now, okay, okay but why isn't there a record of him being in your fucking vehicle then? Well, and even if and, and even if there was a fucking record of it, like, I lost my train of thought. At the same time that Daryl has gone through his experience and now connected with Sergeant Bruce E. Holt, um, the deaths of both Roddy Natus, Nasus and Lawrence Wagner are now also being looked at as suspicious. So as a result, a large RCMP task force is established. Enter Oliver Williams. Oliver Williams joins the task force uh, as the voice for the indigenous people. Essentially, they didn't trust the RCMP, which I mean, why would they? So they actually went to a, a former police officer, a retired police officer, uh, and he left his reserve in BC to come out to Saskatchewan to be a part of this task force, to be the indigenous people's voice. And so anyway, Oliver Williams joins the task force. He actually ends up setting up a toll-free line for the public to use that's kind of like a safety line where they can feel free to call in and make their complaints about their police anonymously. Now, you guys, the toll-free line receives over 800 calls within the first two weeks of operating. The verdict of the investigation into the Daryl Knight case ended up resulting in both Dan and Ken being found guilty of unlawful confinement. Okay. Their punishment? Oh, gosh. Let's slap on the wrist. They were fired from the police force oh. and given eight months, which they only served four of. Why? Oh, my God. Because they're fucking cops. Good behavior. Uh, I, I mean, I'm glad they got fired from their job, but they could also be fired and sent to jail. Like, but real jail? Did they not? Are they not? How are they not guilty of like involuntary manslaughter? But see, because but that, of these other two. That's exactly you know, it. They have. They're not found guilty of that. You want to know? Guilty of Daryl, right? You want to know? Yeah. And you want to know something extra frustrating is out of Rodney and Lawrence, Lawrence yeah. and Daryl, these are the only charges ever laid. Yeah, and you know there's more. So they were charged in Lawrence and Rodney. No, no. just in Daryl's. Just in Daryl's. Okay. There was no closure in the investigation into how- So Lawrence and Rodney are just incidental. You are just- Yeah, so remember people. how you said, I'd be looking at the same Who's on duty during those few days? Yeah, yeah exactly. Week, yeah. So that's the other thing is that there was never really much of an inquest into Dan and Ken's involvement in Rodney and Lawrence's right. case. Yeah. So this did not provide any comfort 
or closure whatsoever to Lawrence Wagner and Rodney Natus's And had they looked into that and had they found like any sort of evidence or whatever like pertaining to those deaths that would at least be involuntary manslaughter and they would hopefully at least spend some fucking prison so here's the thing though you want to know something to piss you off even more yes there was a very large investigation done into all of this and as of today 2022 yeah there has been no charge, no murder charges, no manslaughter charges, no actual, actual I took your life charges no. against anybody on the Saskatoon Police Department. The only charge ever laid was that of the unlawful confinement of Daryl Knight. That's it. That's oh, it. and you know there's more. You know oh, there's sure. more than just... Lawrence so and just well, uh, and yes. just Daryl, who thank God live. Well, and I'm glad that you said that because the thing that I want to say about the Saskatoon freezing deaths and the Starlight Tours is what I'm providing you today is such a small picture into the actual grand scheme of it all. Mm. Because, like I had said, this goes back as far as 1976. And as early yeah. as 2018. So there really is a disturbing amount of history fucked there. In the death of Lawrence Wagner, reports state all he was wearing was a white t-shirt, pants, no shoes, and socks. Now, the investigation stated... That he was in public being drunk and belligerent and he must have decided to just hike and quote unquote walk it off. Which also, by the way, is another go-to. The whole, oh, he must have walked it off. Evidence, however, showed that Lawrence's socks were clean and white. Yes. So there is no way if you're walking in minus 30 degree weather that your socks aren't getting wet muddy and even holy by this time a new police chief was in charge now you guys this is where we get to enter you guys are looking really down and depressed so i'm gonna <laughs> bring in our second hero of the oh, episode Restabo. uh he did some investigating of his own and he was the one that had actually found that there were cases as far back as 1976 oh. Because he actually went on the news saying, I personally don't know of any other cases. He was asked, you know, are there other examples, other cases of this happening? And his answer on that interview was basically, I personally do not know. So Russ, he's, um, you know, he wants to know more about it. He wants to investigate it. He gets off the camera and goes and does some little fucking Sherlock Holmesing of himself. And he finds cases back, far back. That wouldn't have even been known. That case in 1976 yeah. wouldn't have even been known if not for his digging into right. it. Wow. But I mean, when we're talking about these cases as far back as 1976, are they in the same area? Like, this is all within the Saskatoon. But I mean, like, by that power plant. See, so that's the thing. That's not something I can look into because there's right, only so many recorded cases. Right, yeah. The ones I have found are in the same spot 
or in the opposite direction, the Southwest direction. Right. But it's all within the same power plant. But these cases that go unrecorded, that, uh, that, or people are missing and they don't know that they've succumbed to yeah. hypothermia. There's so many, like Megan's mentioned before, undocumented examples yeah. of this happening. Mm-hmm. So there's no real way to tell if it's just confined to the Saskatoon area or not. Right. All right. So now back to Russabo, Sabo, Sabo, whatever. Um, as I was saying, he was doing his investigating on his own and he comes across another freezing case from 10 years earlier. Okay. So he decides to put another task force in place for this case because this was the case of 17 year old Neil Stonechild. Neil Stonechild was a member of the Soto First Nations, which you guys, I am part of the Cody First Nation, but my tribe name is Soto, so I feel like there's like a little bit of connection and it makes me happy. I'm Cree. You're Cree? Yeah. So that was Daryl Knight. Daryl Knight was Cree. Actually, Lawrence Wagner was Cree as well. I don't know if I said that, but he was Cree as well. In November of 1990, Soto First Nation's 17-year-old Neil Stonechild went missing after a night of drinking. He was out with friend Jason Roy. The pair wanted to go visit their friend who they knew was babysitting. They walked to her, they walked to her apartment but were unable to gain access. Okay, does this not sound familiar yeah. though? Like, fuck. Thousand percent. Two neighbors called the police due to the disturbance. Again. Jason decided that it was time to leave, whereas Neil decided to carry on, and the two split. Not long after, Jason saw a cop car emerge with Neil in the back seat. He made note that Neil's node was bloodied, and he was yelling for Jason to help him. Oh my god. I got a really bad picture of this. I did too. The police took notice of Neil yelling to Jason on the side of the street, so they stop and they pick up Jason. They ask Jason. They actually just ask him if they know Neil. But Jason, he had a record as well. So he was also being afraid of he said no. He's not that he well, he said no. But then when he was asked to give them a name, so they get his name. Don't get Neil's name, but they get Jason's name. And Jason actually gives him a fake name because he's so afraid right. of them finding out who he is. Yeah. So the officers take the time to actually go into their systems now. I look for Jason. Or and look for the fake name yeah. that Jason gave. Okay, now that's really important. So hold on to that little tidbit. Satisfied that Jason was just an onlooker, the police let him go, and they drove away with Neil still in the back, screaming, they're going to kill me. Oh, my God. Five days later, Neil was found dead, frozen to death. I'm sorry, Neil. In the southwest side of the field Daryl Knight was found in. No investigation uh, in 1990 was ever done 
into this 17-year-old male who went missing and was found five days later in a fucking field frozen, there was no investigation, you guys, and I can't, and I don't, there is no part of me that will ever be okay with that. There was only ever one actual report done up on Neil Stonechild, but no one could find it. Oh my goodness, of course they couldn't find it. We later find somebody, out, you guys, it existed. Somebody obviously destroyed it. Took no. Their ass. Like oh, I just yeah. said, it was found. Oh. So there it would sit. And I'm not going to tell you where there is, but it did sit like a ticking time bomb, just buried in time, waiting to fucking explode. It, it, it exploded, and I'm going to say stars aligning again. Fucking what Divine you Divine intervention, honey. Listen <laughs> to this. Enter guardian angel, Constable Ernie Ludit. Now, Ernie Ludit, My at the time, at the time he was hired, was one of five individuals in a 350 person police force that was not white. Ooh, yuck. Yeah. <laughs> wow. 2001. Ernie looked and found an unopened box in his basement. Well, inside, after being unopened for nearly 10 years, was the vital report, the one and only report done on the death of 17-year-old Neil Stonechild. He knew what he had found. He had found that original documented evidence that showed just how badly the police fucked up the investigation. Yep. It stated that Neil decided to turn himself in on warrants that he had, that he was just walking to the facility to turn himself oh my in. God, really? Now, if that's not ridiculous enough in itself, he's 17 years old in this so-called facility he's walking to, is an adult facility, so they don't even get housed there. That's okay, true. so why would he be walking to this yeah. correctional facility that he wouldn't even need to? And who at 17 years old is going to go and turn themselves in? And what in? warrants did he have on him? Like, oh, I have a guilty conscience about being drunk in public? Yeah. Maybe, like, who knows? But, like, really, what warrants are you so. Well,. I like, do, I do know what warrants he had, but quite frankly, I, I don't give a fuck because right. what happened to him, it doesn't matter his warrants, but, but it, they weren't murder. Yeah, they weren't, like, but I mean, warrants are going to have a really super guilty conscience about 17 years old. Well, it, exactly. That you're going to walk exactly. out to the police station in whatever, barely anything he's wearing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Over the years, several inquests to figure out the death of Neil... Uh, were done. I mean, there's the Star Phoenix at one point that brought a lot of attention to it. Actually, they were kind of responsible once attention was being renewed for really being the media outlet that really gave the information to the public. Over all the inquests, over all the investigation, over everything, no one was ever assigned the blame for Neil. Friend Jason Roy, however, carried guilt the entire time and still does to this day. The inquest stated that Jason was terrified of retaliation, which is why he, quote unquote, lied for his life. 
That's fair. You know, and that's yeah. like that's survivor's guilt right there. Yeah. You know, and well, and the survivor's <laughs> guilt fucking yeah. ate at him too, yeah. dude. Are making it's survival, and yeah. you know sometimes you don't think of the other person because you're so fight, busy surviving. Fight, fight, that fight or a, freeze, exactly. right? Yeah, those so are the three those responses. Are responses, and that is a that is an or innate, run away. Oh, that's flight. That is an innate <laughs> response yes. that your body and your mind has that you have zero control over. And again, doesn't give a shit about your nationality. Exactly, that is non-discriminatory response of the body jason i mean as we're sitting here talking you're absolutely right like it did it caused jason to go into a very big depression he assumed that you know justice was never going to be served and everything was his fault he did actually attempt suicide at one point because of it they put him into witness protection because like i said there are many inquests and throughout all these inquests his safety, he started being more and more not only paranoid, but like actually afraid for his life. Yeah, right. Because this caused, like I said, such a divide amongst the police yeah. force and I'm going to say society because it wasn't just Indigenous people. There were a lot of people that supported yeah. the Indigenous when this was going on. Yeah. Jason would, however, finally find the strength to go on to the stand when it was time to go to court on the last inquiry of Neil's case. This is where he got an opportunity to describe what happened, about seeing him in the police car, about the big gashes that were across his face, Mm -hmm. how he was bleeding and crying for help. After the investigation was said and done, the decision on Neil was released. Now, when I say the decision on Neil, I, I mean more so what they say happened. Right. And outcome, a.k.a. Agreement of facts sort of deal. Yeah, agreement of facts, whatever the fuck you want to call it. The inquest states that Neil was last seen in the custody of constables Brad Sanger and Larry Hartwig. Fucking Larry. And when friend Jason Roy enters the scene, providing them with a fake name, when they ask him about Neil, the two officers, like I said, actually log this name. Oh. But both officers couldn't recall the incident. Oh. But hmm. the evidence spoke, or at least should have spoken for itself. The evidence came back that Neil had handcuffed cuts, bruises, and marks all over his wrists, and that there were indeed three large gashes across his face. It was clear that Neil had received beating. But the inquest would continue on to say that Neil died of exposure. And even though Jason's testimony was more than credible, charges were never laid due to insufficient evidence. It did, however, admit that the Saskatoon Police Department did do an improper investigation, that they self-protected and developed a defensive attitude. It stated that their investigation was superficial and inadequate and that they dismissed, ignored, and rejected requests from not only family, but the media. Mm. Interesting. The long and short of this, you guys, I know it feels like an incomplete ending, and it should be an incomplete ending because this is, there is no end to this right now. 
because there is still acknowledgement, there's still truth and reconciliation that needs it's to happen here. 2018, I'm sorry. Yeah. That was literally four, four years, years ago. ago. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Now, just to recap what I've kind of gone over, you know, we've gone over Daryl Knight, who mm-hmm. survived, Lawrence and Rodney, who within days of Daryl were found in the same position, unfortunately passed away. Rest in peace. And all of this led to the investigation into the 1990 case of Neil Stonechild. So all of this is so intermingled Mm -hmm. with each other. Not one thing would have happened without this happening or, you know, that wouldn't have happened without that thing happening. There's so many things that have aligned here. It's a domino effect of, like, information and the truths coming out. Yeah. I do want to start out before we start this discussion by saying I did actually, because I was so bothered by this case, I did actually reach out Saskatoon Police Department. <laughs> yeah, girl. I was so mad. There was no bad I, was, I was fucking answers. Yeah. And I got on the phone and I left a message. And I was like, hi, this is Brittany. <laughs> so professional. I was like, in the name of truth and reconciliation, I was hoping that your uh, police department would like to make a statement on this Saskatoon freezing death. Okay. But you guys, I did that so I could get a little bit of my anger and frustration right. out. They called me back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. Okay. So they called me back, and because I, I got in contact with the media department. Yeah. And so a lady from the media department got back in touch with me, said that she's more than happy to put something together for me, but obviously needs some time. Yeah. So haven't gotten anything back yet. We'll have an update. Whether episode. or not I get something before the episode is released, we'll see. Yeah. If we do, I'll add it in. If not, what? Then we'll It'll just be on the next we'll do a recap episode. Absolutely. But I did. <laughs> I, I I wanted to reach out to the police department and say yeah. we're having this discussion. You know, and it's about you guys and how shitty of a job he did way back when, right? Yep. Not now, not saying now, but back then. And yeah. acknowledging. But you still have, yeah, you still have a responsibility to acknowledge yes. the past and to. Um, and I wanted to give them that opportunity yeah, exactly. rather than just sit here and be all man about them, <laughs> right? Now, granted, I am still mad yeah, about say, them. We're still mad, <laughs> but okay. But I am absolutely, positively willing to hear that side of it. And if they don't want to give it to me, well, then fucking fine. Fuck, girl. Uh, high fuck. five. Yeah. And I love making people uncomfortable. It's become one of my That's favorite. That's the thing. Get uncomfortable. That is literally our motto. Get uncomfortable. Get uncomfortable, bitches. Everything that's gone on in the last year, especially with Indigenous peoples, mm-hmm. now is the time to be talking about it. Now is the time to be putting it back on everybody's radar. Yeah. Right. Wow. Brittany, that was like, I've known about this case, but, yeah. or like these cases are like the general, like freezing, the Saskatoon freezing dust, but yeah. like, holy shit. Number one, was not expecting it the way you delivered it and i had a very emotional response (laughs) so thank you for that yeah i I hope you guys our audience did too because like we just said our new motto is get uncomfortable get uncomfortable yeah you guys can find us on our socials at we are on tiktok at homebrew murder crew 
We're on Instagram at Homebrew Murder Crew. We're also on Facebook at Homebrew Murder Crew. And if you have any cases that you want us to cover. Any feedback. Any questions. Just no dick pics. Yeah, please no dick pics. Feel free to send us an email at homebrewmurdercrew at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Love you long time. From Brittany's Nook, we say to you, I'm shook in Brittany's brick Brittany's. I'm shook in <laughs> Brittany's nook. Yeah, that we say that. Oh, good. Bye. Bye. Bye.